Welcome, friends, to our second season of the Reynolds Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and online at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey there, welcome back to the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. It's good to be with you today. Oh boy, it is crazy, crazy this time of the year. We're coming into the Thanksgiving season and then the Christmas season. And so a lot of us are making our plans uh, for our families. We're making plans for the holidays at home, uh, maybe even abroad. Some of you may be traveling for uh, visits with your family and your friends, but it's just, it's a busy, busy time of the year. We just finished a staff meeting a little while ago and talking about some of the things we need to plan for over the next two months and even moving into January. Uh, Here we are at the end of 2021, but I wanted to spend a little bit of our time together today uh, talking, uh, kind of continuing our theme, our ideas on the subject of joy and talking about some of the things that come out this time of the season, especially with the creativity that people show. I mean, just Halloween, for instance, we just finished. I'm amazed at how many people create their own costumes nowadays. They don't go and buy all the exact replicas of things that they see in the stores, you know, and they buy, they'll buy masks and things like that. But I've noticed here the last couple of years that people have put in a little more emphasis on their own creativity, using their own personality to develop a costume. And it may be a character you're familiar with, uh, but they have their own little take on it, their own little twist on it. And I just find that, I find that very interesting. Um, and I, I think that's one of the maybe the one of the uh, maybe unappreciated or under under uh, used parts of our walk with God is to emphasize our creativity and how we as individuals and as a church need to learn to be a little more creative. Uh, I, I was in a, a lesson one time and the the teacher got up and asked. He said. You know, how many of you watch the Super Bowl for the commercials? And a lot of people do, even though if our team's in it, we want to see them play. But um, he said, uh, you know, how many of you here in this room like to travel? How many of you like to use the Internet? How many of you like to be computer savvy? Uh, Do you use the Internet once a day? Do you use social media? He said, is there anybody here that watches their TV every single day or their iPad or they binge watch on weekends? You, you add all of that in, and uh, he said, you know, when you're traveling, uh, whether it's a magazine behind the pocket, uh, in the pocket behind the seat on the plane, if it's uh, advertising walking down through uh, the gateway, uh, even in magazines and stores as you're walking by, uh, driving on the interstate or on the highway, there are tons of signs along the side of the roads. You can't pull up an app. You can't pull up social media without some kind of advertising uh, jumping out at you. And so he, uh, he asked us, he said, I want you to think of the most creative, the most forward-thinking, the most innovative uh, organizations, and, and, and tell me what you think of. And he gave some time, and we all went around and talked about how, you know, maybe FedEx is pretty neat because they've got the arrow that in, in their logo that you can't help but see, or how Wendy's uh, shirt, her, her little neck collar spells out the word mom, things that once you see it, you, you can't ever unsee it. Uh, and we went through, talked about creativity of Coke, always having a song or Pepsi, having a song, McDonald's, uh, all these, all these brands, Starbucks, you recognize the logo before you ever remember the name. 
And he said, uh, you know, how, how interesting is it that we all went through and we talked about marketing, advertising agencies. We talked about uh, magazines, books, movies, music, uh, stars. We talked about branding and all of that with the most creative, forward-thinking, innovative people. He said, not a one of you brought up a church. And I thought, well, because we're not, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not seen like that. We're not seen as creative. We're not seen. In fact, it, it, sometimes when you look at the church and, and say, well, they're pretty creative with their advertising. They're, they're pretty, they say, oh, well, they must be, you know, progressive. They must be liberal. They must be completely charismatic. They must have, you know, they're just, they're just trying to go to the end of the world uh, to find, you know, the ways of the world to, to find ways to reach people and, and bring them in. But I remember not long ago, when uh, I was preaching at a church not far from where I am now, and the whispers came around that this congregation was getting PowerPoint, and ooh, PowerPoint, you know, that was the, you, you, you've got pictures on the walls? You're not going to use songbooks anymore? Um, I had one guy say, you know, what happens when a church gets PowerPoint? The next thing, they bring in instruments and a rock band, you know, they, if you, oh, you can't do that, uh, because we are often afraid of being creative. We're, we're, we're fearful of having vision and we, in that way, get robbed of our joy. I, I really, I really get tired of hearing people say, well, you know, we, we probably shouldn't do that because we probably shouldn't do this because if you don't have a biblical framework, be careful before you start squashing every vision, every thought, because there are creative ways to reach people. Now, yes, there needs to be a balance. We need to make sure that we're doing things, you know, calling things by Bible names and, and, and doing things according to scripture. But sometimes there are, there are interesting ways, creative ways to reach people uh, with the gospel. Jesus did that. He was very much unlike any of the rabbis of his day. Paul, another example, he wrote a lot. That, that's not something that they, they did considerably in those days to write giant volumes of books. But Paul did. Uh, it usually had to be someone who was very well off financially or a philosopher that had many followers to do that. And I think when, when I begin to hear about creative people, I, I, I try to seek them out in the church family because I know that they will probably have water pouring on their spiritual fire more times than not. And so I try to find out those visionary people that are creative thinking uh, and, and find a way to funnel that, to use it for some positive focus within the church. If we're going to plow new ground and we're going to look for new fields, uh, that are that, sh- that are white to the harvest. We got to figure out how to get out there and do things that will that will bring people in, that will draw people to the light. Uh, I, I know people say, well, you know, you got to be careful. You don't want to you don't want to have this impression, uh, you know, impression that you're, you know, you're like a, a denomination because that's that's one thing in the Church of Christ we struggle with. People say, well. You know, if you, if you consider yourselves to be non-denominational with no headquarters, no man-made board or position of authority, then why is it that you don't try things new? You don't do things differently. You you have the same two uh, gospel meetings a year, or or if, if there's no COVID going on, you have the same setup with the way you worship, the same songs that you sing. You don't change anything. In fact, you could probably take a a uh, time machine each year to that same week and and hear basically same message and same service. Usually the song leaders have the same songs. And so what I'm saying is I, I don't I'm not saying we need to is go all out and go crazy, but I'm saying we've got to find ways to be creative. You know, a child can spot an ice cream truck a mile away. They don't have to hear the music. They can see it. 
And I appreciate so much for some of the professors I had in college that challenged us all the time to don't use internet sermons. Don't, don't use carbon copy stuff that people have done before. Don't try to, don't try to, to, fo- to follow a mold or be fit into some particular mold. Think for yourself and use your creativity. The churches that are growing, whether it's uh, um, denominational, it may even be cultish in your community, it's usually the ones that are, are reaching people that everybody else has kind of left out. Now, I believe that God inspires creativity in his people. I believe that our Heavenly Father wants us to be creative. In fact, I can show you from Genesis 1 when he is called the great creator. You know, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he tells man to go and procreate and to go and fill the earth and name the animals that he intended for man to be creative. Now, if you look at the creation of the world, okay, just take a moment, think about who created the mountains, the valleys, the rivers, the oceans, the beaches? Who made the sunset? Who, who determined the differences between light things and dark things? Things that have color. What about the animals? Why aren't they all the same? Think about the beetle for just a minute. There are 30, let me see, 30, 350,000 species of beetles. Look at the Venus flytrap. Just a touch on the tiny hair of a Venus flytrap can take a, a, a plant to a killer in half a second. What about the archer fish? Complex eyes. They bulge out farther than any normal fish, but they can focus on their prey. And they push their bony little tongue to the top of their mouth, and it shoots a barrel full of water with just the snap of their gills to hit an insect above the water. It's amazing. I was talking to Eric Lyons about this some time ago. He was sharing that with a class, I think it was about three or four years ago, the accuracy to shoot this, <laughs> this fish can shoot three to four feet above the water. I mean, that's, that's how creative our God is. There's 4,629 species of mammals, from the bumblebee, two grams, to the blue whale of 190 plus tons. God is creative. He has a sense of humor. He created the platypus and the blowfish and the hippopotamus. And so when it comes to flowers, there are 230,000 species of flowers. Just just give your mind a second to catch up on that. The variety of color, shape, size, where it can grow, how long it grows, how tall it grows, how high, how, how, how narrow the root system. Look at the universe. In our universe alone, astronomers ha- have guessed that maybe there's 125 billion galaxies. The Milky Way galaxy contains 200 billion suns like ours, at least 100,000 light years each. I mean, if you haven't been dazzled by the creation and the power of God, then if you think we we live in a bland, predictable world, you're, you're, you're very mistaken. The Bible shows us that God, even when he created man, he didn't even create all of us alike. We have different colors of our skin tones and our eye color and our hair color. God did not intend for us to clone ourselves over and over and over again. He gave us senses to discover his creation. He gave us opportunities to mix and mingle and to go around and fill the earth. And I'm glad that not everybody looks the same. I'm glad that not everybody speaks the same language. I think it's neat to see how cultures can develop. And God is God is a creator. And, and we learn more about ourselves when we begin to see more about him, you know, like Jesus says, our heavenly father's creative. He, 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 in fact, even when he teaches, Jesus is said to, this is Matthew 13, 34. He didn't say anything without using a parable. He always had an illustration, probably the most creative teacher 
and leader and preacher to have ever walked the face of the planet. The most eloquent speaker spoke about hillsides and boats and beaches and houses and temples. He drew in the sand. He used Roman coins. He cursed fig trees. He held children. He hugged the widows. He embraced the lepers. He passed bread around that multiplied in front of their eyes. He even used spit for healing ointment. I mean, this is the, this is the teacher who talked about the salt of the earth and the light of the world and the city on a hill. So his, his message style, his, his production of a, of a sermon, his delivery is about a life-changing message in a dynamic and creative way. Jesus knew how to hit his listeners right where they needed to be. Man, if we could tap into that into the church today, can you imagine? That's the way God expects of us to be. If we're going to be like him, we were to shine light. We're supposed to be different. So when we analyze the words of Jesus in the gospel accounts, we're going to find that 72, 73% of all of the things he ever said were based on the application of something something that was presented to them, that they saw, that they heard, that they experienced, a question that was asked. Now, his methods, even though that was they're 2,000 years old, by the way, I might add, are more creative than most churches, than most ministers would ever dare to think, most teachers have ever thought to apply. He's constantly using visual aids. He never approached the same subject twice. Every single approach that Jesus took was different because the people around him were different. One of the things that I think is, is really fascinating is how Jesus is able to use the five senses in his teaching to show his creativity. Just for a moment, just walk with me through a few through thoughts of Scripture. In order to capture his atten- uh, uh, attention of his audience, Jesus would often use miracles. After a miracle, he saw that as a teachable moment, and he would take and he would talk to them uh, a little bit more about God after performing a miracle. Like he healed those with fever. Remember Simon Peter's mother-in-law? He used so these are these are the ways he used sight to teach. Um, he healed those that had leprosy. Remember the woman uh, who had um, bleeding. Matthew nine, Matthew fourteen. They're examples of Jairus's uh, um, headed to Jairus's house. Remember Jesus approached by that woman saying she's been bleeding for twelve years. So and all she wanted to do was just touch the cloak, just Jesus the fringes of the cloak, and instantly she was healed. Uh, there's the healing of the withered hand. Uh, on the Sabbath day, there's the healing of the man with dropsy. Luke says during the Sabbath, Jesus ate in this house, this prominent Pharisee, and a par- across from him is this man who suffered from dropsy. Jesus heals him. Uh, Jesus heals those that were deaf. He heals those that were mute. He heals those that were blind. Why did he do that? Because he was bringing sight, both physical and spiritual, to the people. He healed people who were paralyzed. He healed people who were demon-possessed. You want to see a visual? Imagine lurching demons out of a human body. That's just the miracles. That's just the miracles. And I love the story in Luke 5, 4, when Jesus is preaching to Peter while they're trying to fish. And, and he basically is complaining, you know, we've already been out here. They haven't caught anything. And he says, well, you know, why don't you just try the other side of the boat? And it's funny that later in John 21, Peter goes back to being a fisherman and Jesus calls out from the seashore. And he's like, hey, hey kids, hey, little ones, hey, little children, did you find anything? No, I've been fishing all night. I hadn't caught anything. He says, try the other side of the boat. And they catch a load of fish. Jesus uses his humor. Jesus would disguise himself on occasion, costume and all. He pretended to be a foreigner in Luke 24. There are a few cases where he's about to be stoned to death. Then stoned to death and he just disappears in the crowd. I mean, Jesus, Jesus amazed people by walking on water, walking through walls, being transfigured. And, and all the disciples were eyewitnesses. That's what they're called. Jesus used sight to teach. 
So if you're a teacher, I'm give you this idea. If you're going to follow Jesus, be more visual. Use PowerPoint if you can. If you're talking about coins, hold one up. Talking about swords, bring it up, lay it on the pulpit. Talking about children, hold one in your arms. Talking about fishing and fish, bring your pole and your net. What about TVs and shovels and books? I mean, the list's endless. If you're talking about something, bring it with you. Pictures are great. Visual aids are better. Jesus used sight to teach, but he also used smell. It's another, another part of the senses. He referred to his disciples as lilies of the field, teaching a lesson of worry. He talked about herbs that could be smelled, could be eaten. He talked about the ruined wine, basically our equivalent to like soured milk. In Matthew 9, he talked about burnt offerings going up before the nostrils of God, sacrifices. Those are smells that would be all around the temple complex, so why not use them? When uh, Jesus taught of himself being the light of the world, that's during the Jewish Festival of Lights, Hanukkah. So think of the smell of the candles and the light all around town. Uh, every, every single uh, doorway, every single uh, window and entryway would have been lit by these candles. When Jesus raises Lazarus, he says, roll away the stones. And remember John eleven thirty nine, 39, one of my favorite verses in the King James Bible, when he says, when the sister says, Lord, he stinketh. You know, he, he smells, he smells. Jesus used, when, think about this one. Jesus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. When he came walking out in those rags, the stench of the dead man was still in their nostrils, and yet he was living. Why can't we be more like Jesus? Why can't we use smell? You talk about, I had a friend who was talking about Joy one time, and he popped popcorn in the back of the auditorium. And you could smell that popcorn. And he talked about how we need to be full of joy and, and attractive. Like when you go into a movie theater, oh, I'm not going to get anything. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get anything today. I'm sneaking in my pack of Reese's Pieces. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to get me something to eat. But that popcorn hits your nostrils, and everything changes. Man, you load it up with a half a gallon of butter, and you go out two, three times. You eat so much, you make yourself sick. We, there's something about the smell of popcorn. And, and, and this, is, this is how you get people, people's attention. You, know, you, you bake brownies. You smell it. To, to talk with the kids about uh, sweet-smelling aroma or things that are foul. Uh, fire, smoke, perfume, burnt food. They all have a talking point. Bring a dish, put it in front of the congregation. One of my favorite sermons I've preached about fellowship was I made Kool-Aid on the communion table right before a Sunday night service ended and we were had to do a fellowship meal. I made this big thing of Kool-Aid, talked about the fellowship we have with Christ and the blood of Jesus. So use use that. Smell is, is a great way to teach. Jesus did it. Uh, taste. So Jesus was keenly aware of the needs of man, especially he talks about our daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. He talked about salt. And I'm telling you, nothing worse than having a meal and needing a little salt. And there's not a shaker in sight. He emphasized wheat. I mean, who doesn't like bread? I mean, I know some people have allergies, but I was raised on PB&J. You talk about bread. I'm thinking about cinnamon toast. I'm thinking about French toast. I'm thinking about peanut butter and jelly toast. A cheese sandwich, grilled cheese. Man. I'm hungry now. <laughs> Jesus, uh, he illustrated the kingdom with a mustard seed. I mean, I love mustard. People love mustard. Bottle of mustard in every fridge in America, maybe. He spoke about figs. He spoke about yeast. He spoke about uh, loaves and fishes and feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000. So before he preaches to him, he feeds them. I mean, there's an unspecified number of women and children in that number as well. And there were so many leftover baskets, Mark 6 says, that there was visual reminders of something he had done earlier with taste. 
you do a Lord's Supper sermon and, or a message and you actually have the communion there in front of you. You explain the emblems of the bread and of the fruit of the vine. At the wedding feast, Jesus performs his first miracle, turning water into wine. Again, taste, taste. Everyone present was able to taste of the handiwork of God. Uh, I wouldn't recommend bringing a bottle of wine to the pulpit. You probably would have an early retirement. But I'm just saying, I knew a preacher once. This is a true story. A preacher when I was growing up, he brought a pack of cigarettes and a beer bottle and put it on the pulpit. And he used it to talk about how people desire things that they shouldn't. And that most of us should be abhorred. I mean, we should just hate to see things that are abusive to our bodies and that can be so dangerous. And he said, I can tell by the way you're looking at me. Some of you are upset seeing these cigarettes and this beer up here in the front. You're, you're frustrated by it. Um, and he said, and you should be. And he used it as a visual aid. I wouldn't recommend that to everybody, but he was an older preacher and he got away with it. And it really, it was a lesson I'll never forget. Um, the woman at the well, he says, you're never going to thirst again. He used, so bring, bring a bottle of ice cold water with you to the pulpit. Talk about drinking. That's what Jesus would do. Um, and then there's touch. I, I think maybe second only to hearing, which is our last point, but Jesus touched people. He, he, he touched the leper. He touched those with fever. Uh, you know, if you're teaching a lesson on um, health, you might have a thermometer present. You might, ha- might take your own pulse. Ask everybody to take their pulse. I did that one time in a sermon. Uh, Jesus touched the eyes of blind people. So again, you touch your face, touch your eyes. Don't touch somebody else's, but you know, touch yours. When you're doing your lesson, touch your hands, use your body. Uh, I had a friend who preached a sermon one time about the withered hand, and he literally brought his hand out of the coat sleeve of his jacket when he talked about the hand coming into existence. That that grabs people. Um, Moses and Elijah appeared to, uh, they appeared to the, the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were afraid, but Jesus then came and he embraced them himself. In Matthew seventeen seven, he he touched them. My favorite's probably after um, Jesus is risen from the dead in John twenty seventeen, when uh, Mary Magdalene comes and grabs onto him, and he's like, "Don't cling to me." That uh, man, that is that's a funny text to me because he, he he just a few. I've heard preachers say, "Well, you know, he was in a specific form that he couldn't be touched, and he he was he hadn't seen the Father yet." That's baloney. Okay, that's the the Greek word for it, baloney. Because in Mark 21, he's saying, hey, Thomas, come touch, feel, put your finger in my side, put them through the handprints and the footprints of my, where my scars are. I mean, he, there's, that's not the reason. He tells her not to cling to him because she's literally squeezing him so hard she wouldn't let him go. He's like, don't kill me again. That's funny. It's funny. Don't miss it. Um, in Mark 6, when Jesus entered villages or cities or any country, he would lay hands on the sick in the marketplaces. He didn't go to their houses and do it. He did it in public spaces where they could see him touch. And that's why they wanted just the hem of his garment. Uh, one time Jesus spits uh, and, on a, and puts it on a man's tongue. That's disgusting. But it got the attention of the crowd. Another time he spits with mud, John 9, and rubs it on a guy's eyes. In Luke twenty two fifty one, he took the ear of Malchus and reattached it to his head. I mean, that's Jesus used touch. He used touch. He would take children up in his arms. He he raised the daughter, uh, Jairus's daughter. You know, lifted her up. Thomas, touch, believe. Jesus used physical touch, and and that's important. People need to get a hug and a handshake. They need they need physicality, not not in, not in any inappropriate way. But you know what I'm saying? Just to touch, to handshake, to pat on the back. People need that, and it helps them to learn. And then finally, 
man, I wish we had more time, <laughs> uh, is the hearing aspect. When Jesus revealed his power over nature, stilling a storm, taking and, 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 and stopping the demons, he did it with his voice. His prayers and his sermons were so powerful that people would plead for him to teach him how to pray like him. They would beg. They would go miles and miles and miles just to go hear a message because he was that emphatic and so so creative and wonderful. In Matthew 7, 29, it said the people were amazed at his authority in teaching. Even the temple guards were so mesmerized. They, they had the handcuffs, and they couldn't even get him on his hands. They were so Im- just amazed at how he taught. Jesus even points this out to them in the garden. Matthew 26, 55. Wasn't I in the temple with you? What, I, why are you coming out now to arrest me? In the cover of darkness. The night he's betrayed by Judas. He said, you know, every time he said, I are you, we're looking for Jesus now. He says, I am. And they all fall down. John 18, 6. It's because when you say, I am, Jesus is saying, I am. He, he is the same as the Father. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He says, I am. It's like Moses hearing it through the burning bush. Jesus revealed a supernatural knowledge when he talked to Nathaniel. Remember when he calls him as an apostle? He revealed that, that before Philip, he, he invited him to come and he met Jesus. And they're, they're talking and Jesus says, hey, I was with you under the fig tree in your backyard. Nathan, Nathaniel was having his private devotion time of study and prayer, but Jesus could see him in secret. And so he says, I could hear you praying. I, could, I know the scriptures you were reading. And if it's hard to connect with people with your words... Find creative ways to use your words to grab attention. That's why Jesus used parables. Use a modern-day application. When, and this is important. Don't miss this. When Jesus is around fishermen, he talks about fish. When he's around children, he talked about kids. He talked about families. When he was sitting with the scholars, he, he brought out a lot of scripture and debated it. When he was around the weak and the weary, he talked about healing When he was around fruit trees, he talked about fruitful works in the kingdom. You get the idea that wherever Jesus was, whatever audience he was around, his message was directed towards them specifically. He didn't have book, chapter, verse outline in front of him. He took an opportunity. He knew the scriptures. He understood the people. And that's the most important part, understand the people, that he would try to find a way for those individuals to see God. To, to see that God's compassionate, that he's merciful, that he's loving, he's willing to help. And that's why we have stories about lost sheep and runaway boys and brothers that are fighting and arrogant rich people and hypocritical religious fanatics and stingy givers and persistent widows. That's why we have the stories of compassionate fathers and barren fig trees and unprepared virgins and poor beggars who get forgotten by God and closed doors and open cupboards and neighbors in need and servants and farmers and dragnets and the list goes on and on and on. Weddings, funerals. Jesus describes things to grab attention. I always tell people that one of the neat things to me is how Jesus uses Gentile and Jewish terms interchangeably in his stories, even if even if there was only maybe one Gentile present or someone who had practiced something Hellenistic in their background. He he like for instance the pearl of great price. Jews have no use for pearls. They don't they don't eat shellfish, not interested in in uh, oysters, okay? So why does Jesus use the pearl of great price? Because pearls were important to Gentiles. They were value to Gentiles, but not to a Jew. So when he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, again, they didn't eat pigs. Who who eats pigs? The Gentiles. So Jesus uses illustrations specifically for the Gentiles. 
and he uses illustrations specifically for the Jews. When he talks about a beautiful wedding feast or scoundrels and thieves, he uses terms that the people were familiar with. The very word hypocrite is an example of that. These are play actors in the streets. He used their language. He used their knowledge. He used their vocabulary. And, and he, he taught people, I can't even pronounce all of their names, but Jesus knew them. He knew them by name. And I think that, just as we close, I, I think that if, if I call myself a teacher like Jesus, and I've dishonored the teaching style of the greatest teacher that ever walked the face of the earth, my creator, my savior, my example, my master, if I think I can outsmart him or outthink him, then I, I've got a problem. I, I cannot... I don't want to waste time. I don't want to dishonor my Savior. If I want to be a teacher like him, the master teacher, i got to learn to do it the way he did it. Now, I I don't think we're no better than any other teacher that's gone before us, but we can grow and we can learn and we can share. That's why I put all my sermons online, all my books online, because I don't intend to use them a second time. I want people to use them, to to go and, and, and work with the outline. Make it your own. And Jesus is simply trying to teach with real, genuine humility, a life-changing message, but he did it when he knew the hearts of the people. He knew how to connect with people. He was creative. And if we don't correct, you know, connect with people, if we're not creative with people, we don't try starting to reach people where they are, we're just going to keep sliding like a house off the hill. We've got to get foundation underneath us. Teach the word, but teach it in a creative... is, it's, I think it's a sin to bore people to death with the gospel. I think it's a sin to make preaching and teaching a bore. We need to preach it with authority, and we need to preach it with enthusiasm. I mean, what would, what would happen to the church if, if, we, if we had passionate worship and teachers that really put their heart and soul into their message and found a creative way to reach the entire world with just some, instead of falling asleep and falling out of a window? What if we what if we began to really think about being more creative in the way we present the gospel, not just to our children, but to every age, using social media, using the internet, using television, using every medium possible, using billboards. I mean, does Shannara really need another one down here? You know, do do we can we just can we just focus on being out there, being visible? Spending a little bit more time, a little bit more energy, and yes, a little bit more of our finances to let people know how they can hear the gospel. What about just a billboard that says, you know, go to this website for a free Bible study. If you want to learn more about the Bible, click here. We, we could get together as churches of Christ. We could get together with, with other people and say, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll all sponsor this. And then they'll, they'll click on this and get, get, if you want to hear a good sermon, click here. If you want to learn about what Jesus did for you, click here. Read this. Go to this page, this website, this app. We've got to be more creative. I know this is one of my, my hobby horses, but I'm telling you, I do believe we need to try to be more like Jesus. Be more creative. Our God, our great creator, has is, is set forth a pattern. So let's follow it. And we'll be surprised at how many other people will follow as well. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest 
a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus.